Welcome to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. We are a solution-driven environment for whitetail bow hunters, creating solutions leading up to the shot, the moment of truth, the shot, and events after a successful harvest. Join our community for more techniques to hunt with knowledge and shoot with confidence. And receive this podcast, plus additional articles and videos, at www.whitetailexperience.com. Hello, everyone. This is Eric Eastman again with the Whitetail Experience Podcast. We're fortunate enough to have Jim Belcher with Belcher Bows and Sky Archery on the phone with us today. And he is a master bowyer. I would venture to say he's probably one of the best bowyers alive today that uh, can create a custom bow for basically anybody. In today's world that, you know, of Katniss Everdeen and, and Hunger Games and Brave and all showing traditional archery and, and traditional archery is clearly on the rise. And I've always personally been a fan of traditional archery. I grew up in a family where my father shot traditional, still shoots traditional. And Jim being one of the foremost bowyers, we're very fortunate to have him on the show to talk about what is traditional archery. What is traditional archery bow makeup? What should we be considering when getting a traditional bow? Jim, I was hoping you can introduce yourself real quick to our audience. My name's Jim Belcher. Originally from the UK, uh, my father was a bowyer back in the UK, so I've grown up around custom bows my whole life. Uh, my dad told me I started shooting when I was three. I just don't remember that far back, and um, I just thought I was in the way in his workshop when I was a little kid, but uh, apparently whatever he did rubbed off on me because uh, I still carry the same passion as my dad did to build a better widget when it comes to recurves, longbows, or any kind of traditional bow to fit the, the archer. So you started off in the United Kingdom with your father making traditional archery equipment. Yes, I did. What type of, what type of stuff did you guys make in the UK? Crossbows? We made cross. We actually did. My dad made crossbows when I was a little kid in the 70s for a company called Bamber Archery. But uh, I don't remember how many he made. I was probably only probably 14 at the time. So it didn't last too long. I don't think the company lasted too long. So I don't know. But they, he started making a longbow in, uh, in the early 60s, did my dad. And soon went on to target recurves, which was big in the UK and then went on to what they call field archery and bow hunting type equipment, which was again, long bows and, uh, and shorter recurves as well as the longer recurves for target. So you're now based in the United States, your company is in Michigan. How, how did you get from the UK to the United States and, uh, and have such a successful company? <sighs> How'd you transition into that? Um, me and my father came over to Alabama to a Howard Hill Invitational shoot in the 80s uh, from there they tried to recruit me and dad to build bows for a company in alabama building long bows but i met some people in michigan they were very very well supported with michigan with traditional archers at the time and over the next few years i came over and haunted with a few guys that i met there and shot with them and then the women appeared and now i'm married to a michigan girl and that probably explains most of it. So I ended up in Michigan, and probably from the first week I was here, I was already building bows for people. It's just the way it happened, you know. It's just something I do. You know, that's neat. You were you were mentioning that uh, in the UK that uh, you and your father are making bows for Olympic type archery, and and for uh, there's probably not a lot of hunting that went on in the UK. 
but uh, as you came over here and you started hunting in Michigan, you started building hunting bows. What does your portfolio of bows look like today? I, you don't just make one type of bow, I, I know. But what, what type of bows do you have in your lineup? We build bows for the beginner. We have um, uh, kids' bows. We also build entry-level long bows for people who want to try into traditional archery. We build entry-level recurves. We also build higher-end long bows, high-performance long bows, and modern metal riser even takedowns and up to the olympic style bows too even up to 72 inch for you know people to shoot 90 meters so we shoot we from the kids that shoot in the backyard all the way through field archery 3d all the way up to the olympic archery field we build bows for that's great you know one of the things i want to focus in on this segment jim is i know that you make long bows and i really kind of got that i think broken into two segments you've got the belcher bows which is the more of a hunting bow and sky archery which is more of a tournament bow is that an accurate statement or is that inaccurate no that's that's pretty accurate um sky archery came to me through um through matthews actually through matt um so i ended up you know he's a good friend of mine he's Matt actually and uh I went over to do some work for him, which I did. I did some work for for Matthews on the heritage line, and Matt decided it was uh, a passion that I needed to keep to take over, and that's how I ended up with Sky Archery. But Beltry Bows was my company before that happened, so that's why they're both running side by side. Okay. So I can't let go of my dad's. You know, Beltry Bows has been going since 1964, so it's pretty tough to let that part go. You know. Yeah, and that's uh, now when you're looking at hunting bows, I really want to focus probably more on the the Belcher product line, um, and it where it does translate into sky archery. Please make sure you let us know. But when we're looking at a hunting bow, I know that uh, there's really two major categories that I look at when determining a bow. You have your recurve bow and you have your long bow. What is the difference between a recurve and a long bow, and why would somebody choose one or the other? And what are the characteristics of each of these products? The long bow is is the early bows for you know us um uh, it, it's it's very very traditional it comes over the american longbow is a straight end bow and it was here long before the recurve bow became you know became so that that itself kind of steeps in the older tradition of the english longbow which came over here and it, you know the modern take of it is still hanging on to the old tradition. The recurve was actually started here in Michigan in the mid-30s by a company called Bear Archery. Static recurves and full-working recurves came through here. Um, before that, they were really Asian bows. So um, what's the basic difference? Length is a lot of uh, a, a big difference of it and being the shape of the limb. The, the straight-end bow, uh, which which is everybody knows is a long bow, uh, tends to be a little uh, what they call more forgiving. It, you tend not to have to be as uh, let's let's put it, your form doesn't have to be per, uh, better form than you do with a recurve bow. The recurve bow uh, is kind of um, it relies on bending that recurve over to give you more cast. So out of a recurve, because you're stressing that limb out with a bit more with the recurve end, you will get more performance out of it and uh that generally tends to lend itself a little bit more to uh, to the modern bow honor 
Uh, but the basic, that's the basic difference is one's a straight limb ball and one's a curved ball. The curved ball tends to be a little shorter than the, uh, hence the long ball, but the long ball is just an old name for it, really. So when looking at a longbow, basically, instead of the limbs folding over on themselves uh, to create a longer cast to be able to, so I guess the arrow is shooting faster out of a recurve bow than it is out of a longbow, that because of the limb structure and limb design. Right, because it, it actually stores a little bit different way of energy. It compounds the energy over a straight limb, like, you know, that's what it does, does the recurve. Yeah, and it, it does shoot a little quicker, uh, and it's, it's maybe 10 feet to 15 feet a second faster even faster than the modern longbows. What what people have done in the last couple of decades is try to run what they call a reflex deflex, a, a modern longbow which kind of gets takes some of the recurve traits and some of the longbow traits and runs down the middle. So you get a little faster longbow than you used to do, but it's still not as quick as a recurve bow. Now, do both models come in takedown versions, or is a longbow, are you forced to have something that's always going to be a long stick that you got to carry along with you? <laughs> no, no, you can, there, there is a takedown three-piece longbows and two-piece longbows, so you don't, you, you can, uh, you can take it down. One thing happens, there's one thing about the recurve and the longbow, most people will generally pick one to start with. If you want to shoot a longbow, it's going to be hard to talk you into a recurve. And if you want to shoot a recurve, it's going to be hard to talk you into a longbow. So... Why do you think that is, Jim? It could be what you saw your granddad shoot, you know, if you've you've come from, you know, the compound bow. You may have seen Fred Bear movies. I, you know, there's some people might have seen Howard Hill movie, only shot a longbow. You know, it's hard to say exactly what that trigger is. But, you know, there's there's a tradition to you, and it may be you, you, lean, you lean towards a recurve or you lean towards a longbow. Now, Fred was prolific with the recurve bow, so he, he touched a lot of people. So a lot of people like the recurve bow. I'm not saying that's the only reason, but, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons. That's really interesting. So you're stating that um, most people coming into the shop, they've really got a predetermined notion of what they want in their in their setup. So in this scenario, what would you recommend somebody? Let's say I'm a first-timer. I've never shot a traditional bow before. What would you recommend for somebody? A long bow or a recurve? Well, if you're coming from... No, from nothing at all, you know, I'm going to show you which bow appeals to you. If you're coming, say, from the compound bow, I will put a recurve in your hand to start with. And that being for the reason that it's going to look familiar to you, it's going to feel a little bit more familiar to you. It's going to have a bigger sight window, and it's going to have a grip similar to a compound bow. So, it, it, you know, you're already having a bit of familiarity before you start. And that, that, that means a lot when you shoot. You know, I wanted to go back to real quick to what you were saying before about form. You know, it's interesting. I was down in your shop, and we were able to shoot together, mm-hmm. and, and I was I had my recurve bow. And, of course, you picked up your uh, your, your tried and true. Um, yeah, Union Jack longbow. Yeah. Union Jack. You know, it's interesting where um, I could definitely see that there was a little bit difference. You talked about form, um, where I basically yes. would draw back to an anchor point. I was more up and down in my shot the way I was holding my bow a little bit more vertical, uh, where you were holding it a little bit more horizontal. Does that play into what you were talking about with form? Uh, it goes a little bit into longbow against recurve, too. There's actually that. The, the, the longbow tends to shoot a little bit left of it's not cut as, as far into the center to be a center shot bow. So if you, you know, 
if you lean the bow over, you tend to take over some of that center shot, especially with a long bow, it'll help that center shot. It also hasn't got the sight window that a recurve does. So leaning the bow over, too, gives you a little bit more uh, seeing what you're aiming at, too. But it, uh, them two things kind of are the important part of why you lean that particular bow over. But form is form. It's a steady bow arm, get to anchor. Pretty much like your compound shooting, it's still a bow. You know, you still have the traits. You still have to do the same things, you know. Well, you got to make sure you have good consistency. Yes. Consistency is everything. It's everything in, in archery is consistency. Consistent hand placement in your bow, consistent draw line. Could you ex- maybe elaborate a little bit more about the sight window on a long bow versus the sight window on a recurve and why you would hold one a different way? A long bow has a very small handle. Maybe only 16 inches with uh, with what they call a fader, where he comes into the handle part where you grip it, and where you grip it may only be four inches by two inches wide. So what you what you do is you cut in about three eighths of an inch, and you just grind that off to have a shelf for the arrow to sit. There's no other meat in that riser to be able to start cutting it in any further where when you get a recurve bow, that recurve bow riser could be 24 inches long. So you have plenty of meat to come in and actually cut in past center because you've got such a big riser and then bring up six inches straight up and take it out towards, because you've got that much handle section and it will give you a sight window, what they call a sight window, that you can hold your bow straight up and look over the arrow and still see a lot of, you know, you can see what you're shooting at. It also gives you a place to put, say, a, a basic sight. You know, that's what a sight window was, was actually built to do. So even if you're shooting instinctively, just having that window there to allow it to be up straight up and down, it creates a little bit more ease of use is what you would say? Just because you can see yeah. through it? You can see you can see over your arrow better, especially if you cut the center. You can, you know, you can tune your arrow in a little bit. For, for shooting and you can see you hold it you hold it straight up and down it'll it'll be you know your arrow's gonna go straight down the middle. Where the long bows won't, the arrow will want to come around the shelf. So you really need to lean it over so you can see where the arrow's going. Where you won't need to with a recurve because you can see through the side window and watch it go. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So that's why you see these guys with these long bows really kind of canting it over because they need to get that sight window opened up. Yes. Okay. More than anything else. You know, the open side window up plus it takes away, you know, it makes it a little shoot a bit more center, you know. So one of the things that uh, you actually kind of surprised me on, I've always stuck with a basic length and I've always stuck with that length. I never really considered how many lengths there are in traditional equipment. I got to ask you, what is the difference between a long traditional bow and a, a shorter traditional bow? And what are kind of the ranges that you're building bows in? And what should somebody look at for whitetail hunting if they want to buy a bow to go out in the woods and harvest a nice whitetail? I mean, what's what's the what's the advantage of a long one? Advantage of a short one? And what's the sweet spot for uh, for a good hunting bow? Well, that's a that's a big question. The um, it's tools for the job, Eric. It's just tools for the job again. Uh, whitetail hunting's changed a little bit. Um, well, it's changed a lot in the last 30 years, at least last 40 years. Now we hunt out of ground blinds, you know, tree stands, all these things have come into play in the last, you know, three decades. Um, so 
you won't be able to shoot, say, a, a long bow, 66-inch, 68-inch bow in a ground blind because you're going to be you're going to be restricted. I could attest to that because I've tried it. <laughs> right. And it is very aggravating. And remember, right. I shoot a recurve, so it's up, it's vertical, it's up and down. I actually right. built a blind on my uh, small parcel of property that I have just so that I could shoot my recurve <laughs> because right. I couldn't get a ground blind to fit my bow. Right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I just had to drive that point home because it really makes sense. You started a flashback. I did. Right. Um, and it's same in the tree stand, you know, um, depending how you hunt, where you hunt, how high you have your tree stand, where you can have canopy, uh, is how much you trim out. So you might want a shorter bow in there to get in, uh, to get in where you, you feel comfortable to shoot. You don't have to, you know, worry on the length. The longer the bow, it's the more you have to cut out, you know, to, to get your bow in. And the shorter bow you know, you're going to be shooting an average of 17 yards when you're bow hunting, so you really don't need um, to be shooting long distance where a longer bow will help you with your accuracy out when you're target shooting. That's why you see the longer bows in the Olympics. You don't see the Olympic archers shooting a 54-inch recurve. You know, they're 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 made for a stable, a bit more stable platform for shooting on down the line. Where bow hunting, it's a one-shot deal, really. You know, so you can get away with a shorter bow. And that's the difference between the longer bows and the shorter bows. The actual longer bows are faster shooting than the the, the shorter bows. So the longer bows will shoot faster, uh, but they also give you more accuracy downrange. But you sacrifice maneuverability when you're hunting. Exactly. So uh, not having a half a dozen bows you will tend to, like you were saying, where's your sweet spot? If you can shoot a 60-inch recurve bow, it's a really good meat and potatoes bow for, for hunting whitetail deer. Because by the time you put the string on that bow, that bow is only 57 inches long. So at that length, you can get it in the ground blind. It's pretty handy up in a tree stand, and it's not super, super short. So you'll still get you know that mid-range accuracy. And you'll be able to shoot 3D with it too. So it's a really that 60 inch for a 28 inch draw. If you're shooting a little bit longer, you might want to push it out to 62. But right in there is a really good length for a recurve bow. Or on a long bow, you really want to get it a bit longer. You know, take the advantage. It's, it's called a long bow for a reason. So you really want to be in there 62, 64 is pretty short on on a long bow for for a. It, it will help you a lot. I mean, just in that uh, sweet spot there where the short bow tends to stack a little bit more on the long bow just because it tends to be a pile up a little bit at the back end. So it's a little stiffer to pull at the back, and you don't need that when you've been sitting in the tree stand for two or three hours in the cold. Yeah, that's a really good question. It's That is a term that I've heard a lot. Um, I've experienced it personally as I've tried different equipment out, but I don't think... Everybody really understands what that word means, Jim, when you say the bow is stacking. Uh, all bows are made different. Different manufacturers have different tolerances that they're working in. What is a stacked bow versus a non-stacked bow? I mean, they all stack at some point, but some are a lot more difficult than others. Right. Could you elaborate on that for us? Right, and it goes, it leverages a lot to do with that. So when you're shooting, say, a, an Olympic bow, an Olympic archer would expect that bow to be stacking what they say two pounds an inch. For every inch they pull, you're pulling two pounds of actual bow weight. 
once you drop down to the 60-inch bow, you will be expecting to be pulling three pounds an inch. So, you know, you've gone up 50% in what they call stacking. So at the back end, it's going to be three pounds, you know, six pounds of the last two inches of pull. Once you start going below that, you could get up as much as four and a half pounds an inch. You start getting down to a 54-inch bow because, you know, your leverage has gone down. So you're having to pull them little limbs over a little harder. And that's a lot. You know, you're pulling... You know, the, the back end of your pole and you've been sitting in the tree stand, you're stoved up, it's pretty stuff. You know, it's pretty hard to pull that back at the back end. So mm-hmm. that's what stacking is, and it generally goes off leverage. So, Jim, there's also uh, there's got the ammo standards out there. So there's actually a standard set, especially for recurved and traditional bows, even for a compound bow. When you're talking about the standards with traditional archery, what, what are those, and how do you manage that in terms of my draw length is different than your draw length, and uh, it's probably different than the next guy. So how does that relate into a bow? Well, the old AMO, what they did is they run a pencil line through everything and said, hey, average archer shoots 28-inch draw line. That's the average archer, 28-inch. And what we're going to do is you buy that bow at 50 pounds, it's 50 pounds at 28 inches or 45 pounds at 28 inches. No matter what the bow is, it doesn't matter how short it is, how long it is. That's how they do it now. The stacking, again, doesn't really affect that AMO because it depends on how long and how short that bow is on stacking. You could have a 50-pound AMO bow, which is 48 inches long, and it'll stack 4.5 pounds an inch. You'll get a one of 68 inches, and it'll stack two. That's just the way it is. Today, most people are aware of the draw lines. You know, the communications today and videos and things like this, what we're doing today – people are aware that they only have a 27-inch draw. So when they're ordering a bow, they'll want to know what it is at 27-inch or 29-inch, 30-inch. You know, if you think you can shoot a, you've got a 30-inch draw and you buy 50 pounds at 28 and you really want 50 pounds at 30, and so you buy a short bow, that bow might be even close to 60 pounds at 30 inches. If you get the four and a half pounds an inch stacking, and it'll be, you'll struggle to get it back. So that all that kind of stuff plays into goes into play too. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is between uh, you know basically modern day equipment and things of that nature. But I, I want to stick on this topic here real quick about bow draw weight because it most people think today in terms of the modern compound bow and how that works in mm-hmm. terms of bow draw weights. I mean, I got guys saying, "Well, I shoot seventy pounds," and you know, got the next guy just saying, "Oh, I shoot seventy four and you know, and I'm I'm yeah. pretty impressed when the guy says I'm shooting 68. I mean, I'm only shooting 54 pounds <laughs> out of my Matthews. And thank goodness it does everything I need it to do at 54 pounds. But I am shooting uh, 57 pounds out of a 62-inch recurve. And I can tell you that's the comparison of drawing that bow back. If you can kind of maybe verbalize that for us of how that differs from a compound bow and a traditional bow and the guy that says he's shooting 74 pounds, I think he's going to struggle with a traditional bow if he calls your shop up and says, I need a 70-pound bow. Yeah, he's not going to pull it. He'll have to drop 20 pounds to, uh, to to shoot comfortably and have fun shooting, which is, you know, the main thing is it's is got to be a pleasure to shoot. You know, it can't be a giant chore or else you're going to lose interest too. Uh, the poundage is you're talking peak draw weight. That's what you're talking about. And the 70 pound, let's call 70 pounds, peak draw weight on a compound bow, you will hit 
at four inch off brace height. And from that point, it will start to go back to 20 pounds at the back end. It'll have nothing to hold back at the end. So where you're at to pull to break that over, you're pretty strong there. You know, you're, you're, you're breaking that over in front of yourself, with, you know, with both hands. So you're pretty strong. For you to be 70 pounds of full extension, it's a little different to push one arm out one end and pull the other one up to the corner of your mouth at 70 pounds. That's what makes it difficult. You know, where people think they can shoot 70 pounds there, well, they're not used to, and neither is your muscle memory to hold 70 pounds at the back end. You're not, you're not ready for it. Yeah, because with an 85% let off, you're only holding 15% of the 70 pounds. When you get a, right. when you get traditional equipment, you got 70 pounds you got to hold in the back of the anchor. You actually got to pull it to the anchor point and hold it and shoot. You got it all. It's all yours at the back end. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. And, and 70 pounds at 30 inches doesn't mean anything with a compound because you're still breaking 70 pounds at uh, at the at the peak weight down at your waist. 70 pounds at 30 inches, again, that could mean it's almost 80 pounds on a, on a recurve, bro, because it's 70 pounds at 28, unless you order it. So there's, you know, that's that's another where, where the stacking really hurts you, you know. But, but you know, I, I recommend anybody, if you're shooting 70 pounds, I'd say you want to drop 20 pounds. Shoot a 50-pound bow, and that'll be all you want to handle. Yeah, if you're shooting 55, maybe 40 to 45 pounds. You know, you can go, that's a big difference, too. Uh, 70 pounds at the back is this yeah, maybe, maybe I'm just a big wimp with my compound bow, because I am shooting 57 pounds at 28 inches with my, with my recurve. But you and I have talked about that. As I would like to drop yes. a little bit in weight, but right. you warned me. So if I drop in weight, I'm not going to pick it back up. You know, that's one thing. You, you, you want to find your sweet spot on the weight, too. But, you know, you don't want to just drop it off, especially now you're used to shooting. The, it's hard to go back once you drop that weight off start to go back it is you know so jim can you explain to us i come to your shop and i say you know what i want i need a union jack i'm gonna get a long bow i've decided on it i've read about it i gotta get geared up for this thing i I now have a bow um you know let's say i've already got my arrows figured out what do you need to be able to shoot this bow what equipment would you recommend to uh, go along with your union jack first things first you need an arm guard and you need a a shooting glove or a tab and then we're back and we're on to arrows that's the point I wanted to make right there. You've got your stick, you've got your string, you have your arm guard, you got a finger tab or glove, whatever you prefer, and uh, you're done. Right, and and again, some of that, some of it's preconceived. People want to come in. I'm only going to shoot wood arrows. Uh, okay, you're going to shoot wood arrows. So, you know, what do I think of wood arrows? I think wood arrows are great. They're traditional, yeah, you know, but that's not what I shoot. I generally shoot carbon arrows, and. Um, even even the poorest carbon arrows out there are better than the best wood arrows we've ever had for shooting. If you want to shoot, the, you know, if you want to shoot well, but it's hard to convince somebody that wants to go traditional to get out of of a wood arrow, like I said. And even the cost now, even carbons become cost effective. You know, wood arrows are a lot more money anymore. They're even more money than comp. You know, good wood arrows are more than than a, than a, a carbon arrow. But the carbon arrows have such a just a spectrum now. Of you can match them pretty much perfect, you know, for with your tips and your ends and the, your numbers, your thicknesses, you know. There's and you can get them from a entry level to as much as you want to pay too. So you you can get some 
you can match even a Union Jack as basic as it is. I shoot Heritage. That's what I shoot out of mine. Why? Because they're just they're just the best arrow <laughs> for for the bow. It just is. Yeah, you know we uh, we focus on with with the Heritage series with Carbon Express that focusing on spine sizes because we know that it takes a much larger range because of the uh, the draw weights that we just talked about. That there's such a wide range of what people are pulling back. They got to have the right spine for that bow to be able to. You really have to flex around that riser to be able to uh, get a good clean shot. Right, and then I'll sh- I'll shoot that heritage with my Union Jack, but once I get up to what they call the ILF recurve bows, uh, I'll shoot the Maxima Reds. And that's uh, probably most because of recovering fast coming out of the bow. Yeah, um, the modern the 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 ILF bow tends to be set up a little bit more like your compound bow. That's why. That's interesting. So we talked about draw weight. What would you feel, would you be comfortable with when somebody's out there and says, I want to buy a bow to hunt with? And it says, yeah, I'll shoot around in the backyard. I'll, I'll hit some targets. I'll, you know, I got some a foam deer out there. But what would be a good draw weight for somebody to say, this is going to be an effective bow when I get out there in front of a nice whitetail? Oh, yeah, 40 pounds. They'll do everything. The, the way we build them today, not only with the the, the glasses, the best we've had, we're, we're the most accurate we are grinding uh, laminations. You know, we've come a long way in the last, you know, since Fred Beer was was in Grayling. We've come a long way on materials for building bows. We've come on materials for building bow strings and the, and the material for arrows and the broadheads. You know, they're, they're screwing, they screw in perfect. They're super sharp out of the box. You know, the flight teams are great. The, the knocks align perfect. So you're getting... You know, you can get pretty much cl- close to perfect flight out of your recurve bow with with this new with with the new materials. So you don't need to be shooting the big heavy weight bows anymore. You're getting a forty pound bow matched with a fast flight string and a carbon arrow will shoot like the old sixty five pound long bows used to do with the dacron strings and the wood arrows. You know, so you're you're you just don't need the new equipment we have is is just far superior to what we've had before. So you don't need to carry that big heavy bow with you. So you're saying your Beltra bows are also built with a fiberglass core? Yep. We do uh, fiberglass front and back, which is bow tough. You know, it's uh, Gordon's Gordon's composite stuff. Um, and that smorgasbord or whatever wood you want, you, you can have a, a, a basic bow with black glass, or you can have the fanciest woods you can think of underneath clear glass. So that's pretty amazing when you think about having glass in a traditional bow. Everybody's thinking a, a, a wood bow is a wood bow. <laughs> it's all made right. out of wood because it looks right. like wood. So it's got to be wood. But you're saying it's also got fiberglass built into it. Right. And, and the wood bows are, are great. And then they have their place. They're very traditional. Uh, there is a life to a wood bow. And which once you put fiberglass over that wood, you just extended that, that bow for as long as you want to shoot it. And it still is traditional. It's still built on the same way as the, the modern fiberglass gives you the traditional bow with uh, with longevity. So obviously, uh, I am slightly biased, Jim, in your ability to create fantastic bows. But just speaking for the traditional community uh, from a recurve uh, or a long bow, if somebody's out there researching different brands and they may like the different look of a different bow from somebody else or or whatnot, what what would you recommend for somebody to say, hey? If you're looking for good traditional equipment, you need to be looking for these things from a manufacturer if you're going to buy a traditional bow. 
what would you ask that person to look for? Definitely make sure there's Boltoff on there. There's other products that just not a, just won't hold up to that. Yeah, it's, that's a big question, really. Um, yeah, it's hard to just nail down to say one kind of bow. Like I said, you're gonna you're gonna be drawn to one or the other. You want to make sure that the risers made out of some solid material. You know, even I'm not saying metal risers, but metal risers are an option too. Um, what do you mean by that? So you got a metal riser? I mean, what what would be a non solid material on a riser? Well, I've seen them made with with um, I've seen them with oaking risers, and you know they're just not going to hold up. Uh, it's tough to get a one piece riser that's a takedown made out of walnut. It's just not strong enough. It has to be laminated. You know, there's you want a multi laminated riser if it's a takedown made out of wood. It gives it a lot more strength. So you want to be looking at that. Uh, you want to look for center shot, especially if you're coming from a uh, you know the compound bow, because that's something that you're used to shooting. So you want to be looking at that. What about the customness of the bow? One that's coming off of a, of a machine in, a, in some big factory somewhere versus putting the, I would call it the heart and soul is what you guys are putting into your bows. What are some of the big differences there? Your custom bows are built for a quality. Normally, your machine bows are built for a cost. Well, you can generally see them. They're pretty, it's pretty apparent when you run them side by side. You know. What are the big differences you would point out between, say, a custom bow versus something that was uh, run on a machine? Well, your custom bow is going to have a lot better feel in the handle. The, the machine-made ones that are just stamped out, one after the, just, it's just a generic hand. This is it. Generic. One size fits all. For your custom ones, when you get that, they'll, they'll ask you, do you want it high wrist, low wrist, medium wrist? You'll get some, you know, some people want fingers, grips in them. Some people want to swell in the hand. So you'll, you'll get to choose the way you want that riser done. The machine stuff all look the same. When you grab them, they'll figure they won't fit you. And it's generally pretty obvious when, when you see them, you know. Yeah, I think just by the, there's just the physical appearance is pretty apparent. Yes. <laughs> you just like yes. that and you say, I want that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and you'll see it by the cost, like I say. It's just, like I said, it's just built for a cost. And, and the material you're putting into it, the type of glass you're using and, and so yes. forth. That's very important stuff, but I know that we talked about equipment here just a few minutes ago, and I'd really like to kind of focus in on so that the equipment is minimal, but there are a lot of differences between, other than the obvious, uh, that there's wheels on a compound bow. But one of the things with a compound is when you pull that out of the box and you first get it, is the manufacturer has set a brace height for you. You pull it out, you start slapping on your accessories, you start tuning it in, um, and uh, next thing you know, you're out shooting. But brace height isn't something that we talk about anymore. But I know it's very important with a recurve and a longbow could you first explain to us what is brace height yeah brace height is the distance some manufacturers will do from the back of the bow most of them in what they call the throat of the bow that's from where you put the web of your hand to the actual bow string inside that bow from the back side of the handle to the bow and what that is it's brace you're saying the bow you mean the string yeah, up to the, from the throat of the bow to the string is what most people, what most manufacturers call brace height. And that is a distance that once that string is on that bow, collapses them limbs where they should be, and, well, and braces the actual 
proper name for it, embrace that bow so that bow won't hit you in the wrist, won't come all the way and hit the back of the riser. And it gives that the, uh, when the, with the string will stop and give that arrow clearance to get out of the bow. The, the, you know, the lower it is, the less efficient. You can gain a little speed, but it's not as efficient. Isn't what they call brace height. So whoever designs the bow will have a set brace height, which is the distance from the throat to the side, to the riser, that will get that bow to shoot pretty efficiently right out the box once you know that it is that brace height. And it will come that way uh, from any custom manufacturer, and you'll have your strings. We have our strings stretched at 300 pounds, but after you shoot two or three dozen arrows, that, that string will stretch a little bit, and it's not so much as a material stretching. It's the way the string sets it into what they have, a Flemish splice loop on the end. It'll set them so it'll shrink down, and it's important that you twist that string and get that brace height up to the right brace height again. It's pretty important that you keep a check on that because it helps you. It keeps the ball quiet. It bends the recurves and the long bow over where it should be, so that bow will shoot efficiently. That's the whole idea of brace height. You know, and it's so important. I was with a good friend of mine moose hunting, and and I had my recurve on that hunt. He came up to me, and he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> he took my bow, unstrung it, twisted my string right back up, slapped it right back in the bow. He goes, all right, we got your brace height fixed now. Now let's go outside and shoot. And I, I was shooting like a freaking rock star uh, after that. I was like, what What? What did you do? And he goes, well, you had to fix your brace height. <laughs> he says, right. you just weren't getting the efficiency. Right. On top of that, it will change where your knocking point is. If you, where your knocking point is, if that bowstring stretches or, you know, gets lower, your knocking point's in a different place and you'll get poor arrow flight. That's a really good point. So talking about knocking points, how do you set a knocking point on a, I mean, a lot of people in these compound bows are all moving to string loops. It's almost knocking points are turned into a thing of the past. Where do you put a knocking point on a recurve bow? Well, you start, um, Use your your knocking square and go up about five eighths of an inch if you're knocking underneath, which most people do anymore. And you'll start there. That doesn't mean that's where you're going to end up because everybody's fingers are a little different. Some people have fat fingers, some people have thin fingers, and some people twist that string a little bit when they pull it. Everybody pulls them a little different, so you may have to nudge that knocking point up to start with, or knock it down a little bit to get. You'll see the arrows will. You'll see the arrow tip waving goodbye to you as it goes down the road. That means your knocking point's more than likely off, so you'll have to change that. So, But a starting point is about five sixteenths above center, so you can stick your arrow up underneath there and then move up from that point. Ladies are different than guys. You know, it's just, just the way you pull. You've got a bigger finger, and you're, you've got big fingers. You're pulling on that underneath that uh, arrow. It's going to change where your arrow is in line with center of your bow. Yeah, you start that knocking point a little bit higher, don't you? I generally start mine probably close to about a half inch for me because i got some pretty thick fingers. Yeah. Now, out of curiosity, if somebody buys a bow, how important is it for somebody? Because when you have a compound bow, it's always strung. You leave it strung. Uh, you put it in the closet strung. You know, you hang it up strung. You never, you never unstring a compound bow unless you uh, get some string fray and you take it to your local archery shop and they put it on a bow press for you and you get a new string and then... Again, you leave it strung. <laughs> how important is it for you to unstring your recurve? And how do you store it? And does it matter? Can you leave it strung? Yeah, you can leave it strung forever if you want to. It's important about storing it. You're right on the storing thing. 
You want to hang it up underneath the string so it's hanging and there's no pressure. Just you can't sit it in the corner on the tip. Or you can hang it up with two pegs so you can hang the riser. You can hang it off the riser or hang it off the string. As long as you're not putting pressure, downward pressure on the bottom limb and you can I have bows, and the the only thing is, once you have it strung up for a few months, you don't you know you don't shoot it for a, a month or so. Just check the brace side. You know it's, it will settle in eventually, but uh, when you start doing that, you want to check your brace side every time just to make sure. So leaving it strung is not an issue. Then it's really about no. don't ever leave it. Don't store it in a corner where the tip is on the ground because it's going to start to warp your bow. Yes, so you can hang it up. On, on a bow hook, just like you would do with your compound, hang it exactly the same as your compound bow. And it will, it'll, it'll be like that for, you know, you can stay like that forever. You know, I have ones that I've not done for years. And so at that point, you can basically just, you don't have to worry about keep stringing it, but you do want to check your brace height because you've had it stored for six months and right. you pull it down, you may say, oh my gosh, I've only got a five inch brace height right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> What would you recommend is how many inches for a brace height is typical? Now, I know all bows are a little bit different, but what's kind of an average brace height that you would recommend for most people? For a straight-end Union Jack-style bows, about six and a half. And for a recurve bow from the throat, it's about seven and a half to seven and three-quarters is the brace height. On average, you know, you know, some of that changes because of the length of the bow, but that's on average. You don't want to get it below that, you know. So is there anything else you want to leave us with today, Jim? And, and I know that we've kind of taken a very basic level looking at recurve and longbows. I know you can get into so much more detail that you're going to lose 90% of the population because <laughs> we wouldn't understand right. what you were talking about. <laughs> but uh, is there anything that you want to leave us with in terms of what you're doing in bow building or what somebody's interested in they should be considering when it comes to traditional equipment? Well, we've never been so well off for for uh, traditional equipment from uh, in this country we've got a, just the smorgasbord of stuff to to look at and experiment we go to your go to your local stores and try as much as you can really you know and ask around get some people to most archers will go, are willing to share what they know it doesn't matter what kind of archer they are they're willing to share and then you know and ask them and ask somebody, find somebody, ask, ask your local store. You know, anybody that shooting a recurve, sure, a little introduction. He'll, he'll give you some advice too, you know. it's uh, and, and it's common sense. If it doesn't make any sense to you, it's probably not right. You know, really. You know, if it's, it's, it's pretty basic stuff is traditional archery. Um, and it is archery, just like your compound bow. It's not a million miles away shooting an arrow. It is shooting the arrow. That's what he's doing. And don't get too caught up in, in in being the best right away. Just have some fun. Go out, shoot some tin cans in the backyard, you know. And and don't give your compound ball up right away if that's what you want to do. You know, have fun with it. Don't make some absolutes when you go into traditional archery. You know, I've, I've seen people just sell everything. I'm going totally traditional. You know, well, I don't know if that's the way to go either. But uh, I'm not saying you won't go totally traditional. but uh, you know, it's archery. It's your time off. You should have fun with it. You know, I found probably some of the nicest times I've had in the woods is when I've had my recurve bow and I would just get a couple of flu-flu arrows, stick in my back pocket, and just shoot at trees. <laughs> it's tough to do that with a compound bow. <laughs> they stick right in there. But it's it's fun with a recurve. You can start judging your distances, and then it turns into a little yeah. game with yourself. And there's just a lot of yeah. neat things you can do. 
Right. And, and what, what happens when you go to shoot your comp iron bow in, you'll set up your bow, you'll shoot in the backyard for half an hour and you're jelly happy because you're, you're knocking them together. You take your recurve bar, you probably ain't going to come in till dark because you'll find other stuff to shoot at. And you know, that's what you do. You know, it's, it, it it does it it takes you back a little bit more it uh it it's it pulls the kid back in you a little bit doesn't it yeah you know? it does well, thanks for your time with us today, Jim. We we really appreciate it. And for our listeners that's uh, hearing this, if you want more information about Belcher Bows, go to belcherbows.com. That's B-E-L-C-H-E-R-B-O-W-S.com. And you can see the wide array of bows that Jim has to offer. And I believe he has a link over into Sky Archery. Uh, and if anything, you can always Google that. You can see that the quality of the bows that Jim's putting together and why what he's talking about in this podcast uh, does have a lot of value. Uh, if you're looking at getting into uh, traditional archery equipment. Jim, again, thank you for your time, and it's uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on this podcast today. All right. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, it's been fun. To ensure you catch our next episode, go to www.whitetailexperience.com and join our whitetail community. 